Hello and welcome to the Training with Tucker podcast. My name is Tucker Gross. I am an endurance athlete and coach, and I started this podcast to put out short weekly episodes on a variety of different training topics to help athletes out there improve and have a deeper understanding of how to train. Today is going to be a special insert episode to recap my experience, my thoughts, and the lessons learned from my DNF at Mesa's Hideout 100 last weekend on June 5th. I want to first thank everyone who supported me. My crew was phenomenal. Nicole, Dave, and my dad were amazing, and I'm so grateful that they were in my corner on one of the hardest days of my life. Thanks to everyone who reached out before, during, and after with kind words and encouragement, and thanks to everyone who followed along on the GPS tracker. My goal with this episode is to be very open and honest. This stuff is still very hard for me to talk about, but I know it is important to share it. To start, I want to give a little background on my mental health as it was one of the biggest factors in my first 100 miler not going as I had planned. Throughout the course of my life, I have dealt with anxiety and depression. The anxiety showed up when I was a teenager and I've dealt with periods of depression on and off over the years. I struggled with anxiety attacks a lot in my younger years, and though I've had some anxiety in my adult years, about six weeks ago, I had the worst anxiety attack experience in more than 15 years. Uh, The next few weeks after that were really tough, but I slowly climbed my way out of the anxious and depressed state that I was in and started to feel normal again. And then race week came around for my first 100 miler and the anxiety started to build again. Felt in control, but my mind kept going to a place of what if? What if I had an anxiety attack out in the middle of nowhere? What if I started peeing blood? What if I messed myself up so much that I was mentally messed up for weeks? Um, What if I wasn't physically able to recover from this in time to start training for the Boston Marathon, you know, and crazier things like what if I was attacked by a mountain lion? What if I got rhabdo and, you know, all sorts of things. I knew that once I actually started the race, I'd be fine, but the nerves and the anxiety and all these thoughts in my head leading up to the race, it was definitely a lot. My coach gave me the advice to look at this experience and this race as an opportunity to just go out and play in the mountains. So I really tried to steer into that and latch on to the idea that, you know, it wasn't 100 miles, 101 miles technically. Um, it wasn't 100 miles to be anxious about, but rather just a chance to go out and play in the woods. But as much as I tried to do that and frame it in a more positive way, Friday night, I had a really hard time getting to sleep. I was very anxious and I couldn't keep the thoughts of maybe not even starting the race the next day. But we got to the race start and I grabbed my bib, dropped off my drop bag, attended the pre-race meeting. And when the RD said, go, I went. Um, But I'd be lying to you if I said I was excited. I did my best to share conversation with other people and I definitely had some fun times grinding uphill the first few miles. Um, I shared a few miles with some really awesome individuals, but 
soon the competitor in me took over and I forged on alone ahead. I made it to the first aid station around mile 10 in fourth place and only a few minutes behind the leaders. Um, and I pushed onward and continued going upward to the towards the Greenhorn aid station. The first 15 miles included three creek crossings, running basically up a stream, post-holing through knee-high snow, all while gaining almost 6,000 feet of elevation. The climbing and the heat of the day was already taking its toll. I grabbed handfuls of snow and used them to cool my head and neck. When I got to the top of that section, I made it out onto this beautiful vista. I enjoyed the views, but I was already feeling a bit defeated. The course was so hard and my mind was already telling me that I wasn't going to be able to run the whole thing. I tried to quiet those voices, but I couldn't. I ran down a fire road for a mile or two and saw the Greenhorn aid station and my crew and I started crying. Um, I was so happy to see them and also overwhelmed by how challenging those first 18 miles had been and the prospect of over 80 more miles in front of me. When I got to my crew, they refilled my water, gave me some food, and sent me on my way. But before I left the aid station, I told them how hard it had been so far and that I already had doubts that anyone could finish this course if the whole thing was that tough. And I also told Nicole to let my pacer Steve know that I would let him know by mile 45 if I was going to drop or not, so he wouldn't have to drive out for nothing. In the moment, I knew these thoughts were a terrible sign, and looking back, I can't even believe I thought them or voiced them. But as I said, I'm going to be really honest and share my experiences. I'm not going to sugarcoat things and act like I'm invincible because I'm not, and no one is. I know getting this story out there will be good for me and maybe it will help others too. The course thankfully leveled off and featured some really beautiful downhill stretches. However, I'd made a critical mistake at the Greenhorn aid station. I had forgotten to reapply sunscreen. The sun was baking hot. I was four to five hours in at that point and had been in the sun for most of it. I was already feeling dehydrated and when I looked down at my shoulders and arms, they were bright red. I got to a water-only aid station, and I poured some water in my head to cool off, and then I continued on. The trail meandered along the side of a mountain, descending down, and that was when two more challenges were tossed on my plate. First, I rolled my left ankle, which has been an issue for me for a long time, and then I started to feel a blister forming on one of my left toes. My shoes and socks had gotten soaked from one of the creek crossings, and so a massive blister started forming on the bottom of one toe. With my ankle bothering me, I spent a lot of time walking when I really needed to be jogging in this downhill section, and soon I was caught by another runner. I had been in fourth place at Greenhorn and was now caught by the fifth place guy, James. I decided to try to run with him, and we shared some great convo, and that was definitely distracting and helped me from thinking about my ankle. And So we made it to the next aid station, Pole Creek, and I managed to pop the blister, wrap it up, put on some dry shoes and socks from my drop bag and grab some food and continued on my way. I had taken much longer at the aid station than James, but I was able to jog a bit and catch back up to him. And so we ran a few more miles together. And um, as we approached the Sand Hollow aid station at mile 38, I again kind of had some ankle issues and was forced to slow down to a walk. 
and kind of limped my way into that aid station where my crew was waiting for me. I had my ankle brace at that aid station, so I, I put that on, I restocked with more food, and went out for an eight mile out and back. Soon, I had caught up to James again, and the guy who was in third place, Adam. And the three of us ran together for a few miles, and we had some great conversation. Uh, but again, I had to drop back because my ankle was bugging me, and I needed to walk it into the Sand Hollow aid station again. James was heading out at that point, and soon after, so was Adam with his pacer. And I didn't want to waste time, but looking back now, I should have spent more time in the aid station with my crew. I should have thought about what I might need in the next stretch ahead of me. I had plenty of fuel, layers, and flashlights for the nighttime running, but I never thought to take my phone and music. And obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty. but I think if I had taken my music, things may have turned out differently. I had a 28-mile stretch until I was going to see my crew again, and having that distraction would have definitely been helpful. Before I left the aid station, I asked Nicole as I sat there if I could go back to the Airbnb with them, to which she, she said what I needed to hear. Nope, you have to keep going. She pushed some food into my hand as I left, and I started on up the road. When I got to a straightaway, I could see Adam with his pacer up ahead, but I wasn't ready to run, and so after a few minutes, they were gone out of sight, which left me for the first time in a while alone with no one in sight ahead of me or behind me, and roughly eight hours until I would see my crew again. For hours, I had had a headache. It started around mile 30, and it didn't let up. For almost 30 miles, I'd been dealing with pain in my ankle, blisters on my toes, sunburnt shoulders. I had consumed countless gels and ounces of sweet tailwind. And by the time I was leaving San Hollow, not only was I tired of the gels and the sugary drinks, the dry foods, the hot weather, the pain in my ankle and everything else, I was just tired of moving. I didn't want to eat anything. I didn't want to drink anything. And I just didn't want to move anymore. But I forced myself to continue doing all three of those. Slowly, I moved forward at a pace of three to four miles per hour, and all I could think about was the fact that my crew was heading in the opposite direction towards a bed that I could be in if I really wanted. My anxiety increased by the minute, and the negative thoughts just started to overwhelm me. Mile after mile, I pushed on and fought with these thoughts. The thought of spending another eight hours alone with my negative thoughts was what finally forced me to pull out the Garmin inReach and send a message to Nicole that read, I want to stop. Can you please come find me? I didn't get a response right away, but um, as I neared the next aid station, the race director drove up to me on his motorbike and told me he had heard from Nicole and that I wanted to drop and asked me what was going on. My crew thought it was my ankle, but it was my mind that broke me. I got to the next aid station and explained to them what was going on. It was almost 54 miles into a 101-mile event, and I didn't want to move another step. The RD, Chris, and the volunteers, Tim and Scott, tried their best to convince me to keep going, and they somewhat succeeded. I decided to run the next section, which was a three-mile out and back to an overlook. This put me at 57 miles, the most I've ever logged in one push. And again, in hindsight, if I had gotten to the aid station before I hit send on that message, I wonder if things turn out differently. 
Chris made a great point that I could simply wait for the next couple of people to arrive and head out with them. But my crew was on their way out to me and they had been heading back to the Airbnb when they got my message and turned around. I now knew that I had the out that I wanted. And when they got there, there was a little more discussion, but I knew what I was going to do. I was done. It would have been easier in the moment and it would certainly be easier now to say this if something physical had kept me from going on, but physically I was fine. I actually ran the three mile out and back at a really good pace. The the thought of it being the last three miles of my day, I, I found a second wind and I was moving pretty good. So I clearly had more in the legs, but mentally I was just broken and I, I didn't want to continue. I handed my bib over to Chris and climbed into the safety and comfort of the car and we drove back to the Airbnb to a hot shower and a warm bed. I know I could have finished. I probably could have placed in the top three even, but when it came down to it, I was scared of the unknown, of eight to 10 hours alone in the dark, of what a 30-hour effort could do to my body and mind. If I had been in a more positive mental state going into the race, maybe that would have helped, but the truth is, you're going to hit some low spots in a 100-mile ultra. Chris, the RD, put it well. He said that in a 24-hour effort, you will experience all of the emotions of the past 20 years of your life. All the sadness, the joy, the anger. Maybe I just wasn't ready for all of that. The next morning, we went to the start-finish line area to pick up my drop bag. The winner had finished already in just over 25 hours, but no one else had gotten back yet, and we were there at the 28-hour mark. In total, only 16 people of the 30 who signed up finished the 101-mile course that Chris designed. Only two made it under 30 hours, and six of the 16 that finished came in after 35 hours, within the last hour before the 36-hour cutoff. Of the finishers, many of them have multiple 100-mile finishes under their belts, including some of the hardest 100-mile events out there such as the Hurt 100, Leadville, UTMB, and others. One of the finishers was asked afterwards about how Mace's hideout ranked among the other 20 100-mile finishes they had. They said it was the hardest. All this makes me feel a little better knowing that I picked a damn hard course that led to almost half the field not finishing, and those that did finish had to dig very, very deep. In the past week, I've spent a lot of time thinking and processing all that happened. I know that I need to work on my mental toughness. I need to have more tools available to deal with the mental low spots. And I learned the hard way that while all 100 milers are tough, some are tougher than others. I plan to find another 100 to do at some point that is more runnable at lower altitude and with less climbing and descending. I learned a ton of valuable lessons and I learned a lot about myself. I know this experience doesn't define me and that it has already made me a better person, athlete, and a better coach. I did not intend to DNF, but it happened. And while it is easy to call not finishing a failure, I am choosing to define DNF as I did not fail. This experience will only be a failure if I choose not to learn from it, and so I will learn, improve, and stick to the process, continue putting in the work, and trust that the outcome will be what it is supposed to be. 
Another big lesson that I learned from this experience is that I love training. I used to be an athlete many years ago who trained to race. I would sign up for something, train really hard, run the race, and then stop training until I signed up for the next thing. Now I value the training much more than the racing. I still love to push myself and challenge myself, but it is the trial of miles, the consistency, the self-improvement over many, many years that motivates me, and not one singular starting line or finish line. That is all I have on this one. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review as that is how more people will find the show and get to learn about me and my coaching business. Next week, I'll be releasing my preview of the Western States 100 and share my conversation with Ryan Miller, who will be one of the favorites to podium at Western. Make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And I look forward to bringing you more information to help you become the best version of yourself.